Hey, Matt. Hello, Dave. It is great to see you here on Zoom. It's great to see you, too. We recorded a little early today, mm-hmm. and we uh, both were right on time for, for this, but it's funny how even in mm-hmm. the age of coronavirus, scheduling is a thing, and we both seem to have just leapt out of the shower this interview. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And if I, uh, if I understood you correctly, you are pantsless right now. I'm literally wearing a towel around my waist that has probably ruined the chair I'm sitting in, but I threw on a shirt and a hat only because I didn't have time to fix my hair. We're talking to a hair guru. I could not possibly. You, on the other hand, gave us beautiful wet curls, which was actually kind of the Thank perfect you. look. Thank you. I am, uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of entering into, in, into a Chris Makepeace moment. I don't know if you remember Meatballs I, or My Bodyguard. Um, it's that, that's a little bit the, the, the hair aesthetic that I'm moving into at the moment. And it's just, I'm just going to have to embrace it because I'm not you, going to give myself a haircut because that would be a disaster. Right. Where we get deep into hair in this, uh, conversation yes, that you're about to hear, but, yes, we do. uh, did you get to throw pants on? I never asked you that. I do. I am. I am wearing a, a comfortable jean. Great. Um, I, there's something I just need to discuss that is, that is, um, it's difficult. Oh God. Um, but I just want your mind. Well, I I don't, I don't like this. And I, and I, and I know that I'm not the only, I know that I'm not the only person who feels this way. And it's just, it's just something that I want to put out into the open because we're going to have to process it. I'm so scared. Um, Colin Jost has really good arms. Oh, I don't know if you saw SNL at home, but they recut the whole intro and there was a whole thing at the beginning and it was like, oh, God damn it. Why, why am I, why do I have to end up being attracted to the world's Colin Josts? Surely there's. Yeah. If there was ever a type, he's the one. I did not. So, I didn't catch I don't like his it. arms. I didn't catch a glimpse somehow. Well, there. What part I missed? But. It's it's real quick in the intro there, and they're just they're good, and it's just like I had I had a nanosecond of pleasure, and then days of guilt. I mentioned it. I mentioned it to my friend Scott, and he said that's that's like being really into the Daily Grill, and, <laughs> and he's not wrong. But at least that would be like that yeah. would be fun. That's right. your that's your funny quirk. This is What's just fun about lusting after Colin Jost. I it's not lust, but it's close. Your but your SNL cast member of choice is not him, but rather um, uh, Beck Bennett. Beck Bennett. Yeah, no, that, absolutely Which, right. That yeah. goes without saying. That goes without saying. But this, yeah, but he he support yeah. that. Anything else uh, keeping you occupied? Keeping you what is company? Giving you occupied? comfort in this? I um. I'll just I, I don't I don't appreciate the tone that Netflix took with the bonus Tiger King episode. What was the tone? I'm I'm completely oblivious about this. They did a they did a what amounts to a uh, they called it like the eighth episode of the season of Tiger King, but it was basically an after show. Right. And and it was hosted by Joel McHale, which tells you everything you need to know right there. Mm-hmm. Um, they. It, it was the way that they treated it, you would have thought that Tiger King was a comedy show, which there is a lot to make fun of within the world of Tiger King, but only because 
the documentary plays it fairly straight. Right. The, this was like, oh, you know, like, look at you, you got teeth and you're wearing a shirt and all that. It, it was like mm-hmm. they played up the comedy of it, which to me is like giving yourself a nickname. It's like, let we got we have to add the comedy to it. You continue to play it straight. Do I need to see? Are we getting new interviews with Carol or anybody? We're getting nothing. We're getting nothing that oh, is useful. Okay. I don't need there's that. more. There's more with Saf. There's more with a, a couple of other people. But unless you're a crazy committed super fan, you don't really need to watch it. I wish I had. Are you are you able to read during this time? What, what's your relationship to the reading at the moment? Uh, no, I'm not. I uh, yeah. I have a, a book that is sitting on my on my nightstand begging to be read. But uh, what no. book is that? Uh, it's the Knicks. It's a big, big book. Um, and I loved it. I was, I got about a hundred pages in and I was like, oh, this is great. And then I just kind of put it away and I haven't picked it back up. You? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. And I mean, I do, I do in general, I'm just like, I'm not going to take on anything that's going to ask too much of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that's kind of my attitude in normal life as well, to be honest, but <laughs> I've blew through the Jessica Simpson book. I think I've already talked to you about that, which was oh, uh, sure. great. But I'm now reading a, Mama Cass, a Cass Elliot biography that I love. Great. I've been a great. real uh, Cass Elliot kick uh, recently. Um, You're making your own kind of music in quarantine. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's and just stacks of magazines, just all great. the magazines. It's perfect time for magazines. Incidentally, the new the uh, April May Esquire is out. I have a personal essay in it uh, that, I'm, that I'm quite proud of. Uh, the uh, the cover boy is uh, is Chris Evans. Some hot 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 photography. What a is full, the topic? A, a full of, redesign. I can't wait to see it. What is the topic of the uh, Dave Holmes piece? Well, the 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 theme of the issue is why are we like this? Like it's sort of. You know, all of our psychological difficulties are in many ways our own fault. And so it's it's a, a, a bunch of staff writers on Esquire sort of uh, tackling some of their own personal stuff. Mine is about my my type one diagnosis and how difficult it was for me to find like emotional support or to look for emotional support afterwards, even though that was the one thing everyone on my like, you know, care team was telling me about was like, go and find a community. And I I. I know instinctively, I know that I should, but I found it very difficult to do that. Uh, and then in the meantime, our editor in chief, Michael Sebastian, who's a, a good friend of mine who is also type one, but who had not been open about it, um, uh, took the opportunity in his editor's letter to come out as uh, as type one as well in in uh, a way that I, I thought was really, really candid and, and, uh, and really interesting. Oh, I love it's that. a good issue. So if you're, if you're taking down some magazines, get in there. Um I'm trying to think what else I'm, I'm doing. I'm trying to learn chess. It's going badly. Mm, that's something that now that to me falls into the category of asking too much of me. Really, we have been playing. We have been doing a little bit of uh, playing Scrabble, but it's mm-hmm. uh, and also Michael's kind of teaching me how to play the Nintendo Switch. Oh. a little bit. But in general, there's like no game I can play against him. He is just a charmed person has never lost a game in his life is just yeah always has the perfect uh hand you know mm-hmm. literally and figuratively wow that's yeah. beautiful so i'm losing a lot of games uh um, great but i'm winning because 
I got to talk to Jonathan Van Ness today. This is uh, such a great conversation. He's so much fun always and such a wise member of our community. You know, we wanted to have him on for so long and uh, he's just such a, uh, uh, such a love. And obviously mm-hmm. everybody knows and loves him from, from Queer Eye and from, uh, I would say, our, one of our sister podcasts, uh, Getting mm-hmm. Curious. Right. Um, and uh, there's just nobody that we'd rather talk to. In this, yeah, uh, he's a dream. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Van Ness. And we're back with Jonathan Van Ness. Hi. Hi. You are in a closet of some kind. I am in my closet. Um, I am also in Texas. Um, I got, I'm in a cute little house and it's extremely echoey everywhere except for in the closet so i mm-hmm. didn't expect to find myself back in a closet at 33 years old but you know alas just making lots of closet jokes recording from closet <laughs> i love it what are you if doing you want to come out on our show and you know make headlines feel free there's no extra closet for me to come out of at this point <laughs> i think i've been a pretty open book yeah um yeah how did you when did you get to texas how did you get to texas um, I got here the like because I got home from Australia. I was on comedy tour um, on leap year, so I did two February 29th. Thank you so much. I just had a, a in-house Postmates delivery of a fresh coffee, which is amazing. Ooh. Mm. Um, I'm just kidding. It's my quarantine buddy. Um, but uh, I got back into the states on February 29th, and then we began production on. Queer Eye, um, season six in Texas. And we basically got here like the beginning of March and got one episode done. And then everyone was like, uh, I think we gotta like, because it's like, everyone was like, do we go? Do we stop? Like that was before the government had really come out with like the, like what to do. And I think all of us were just kind of like, I think we all feel like a little nervous because there wasn't like an official thing yet. And then as the five of us were like, we're getting nervous. Um, that's when like Netflix and everyone was like, like we didn't even need to say that we were getting nervous. Cause like it, at that point it was like that, I think it was that Friday night. Everyone was like, all right, we're going to put this on hold until we can see, you know, like when we can start again. So we got put on hold like that in like the, you know, maybe second week of March or something. And then it was like, I had all my four cats here in Texas and I was like, do I, try to go back to new york city and fly through jfk with like four cats with all of this going on and like i would need to give like four cat baths because like you know it doesn't seem like like you know the virus and like get all up in their fur and stuff and i was just like i don't know i'm scared like i just got him down here and i had enough stuff to just like with me that i was like i'm just gonna stay here so i'm just gonna stay here for the summer so i just like rented a little place for the summer um thank god that i you know am able to do that and yeah, so I'm just going to kind of hunker down in Texas. Okay. That was a really long so you, explanation. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's what we needed. So where where in Texas are you? Can you reveal? I'm in Austin. Yeah, I'm in Austin. Oh, okay. That's a good place to be. Yeah, it's really it's really pretty. And it's, it's I guess, you know, yeah, it's, it's really pretty. I just, obviously, I think for those of us that are lucky enough to, like, 
be able to continue some version of their work and, you know, have a safe place to quarantine and eat and stuff. It's like, how do we help everyone else who isn't? And it's just such a rough time to try to make sure that everyone is okay. And you are certainly doing your part. It feels like now more than ever, people are really turning to you. You Like you're giving us free fitness content. You're giving us cat content. You're officiating weddings on FaceTime. Um, How are you practicing self-care during all this? Um, Well, thank God, because I was coming for Queer Eye, I had like a shitload of masks like with me. Like I had like an entire like, like a wardrobe stylist bag full of just extra self-care stuff that I was going to have for the season. So basically just like doing a lot of masks. I'm doing a lot of writing. I, I wasn't expecting to write um, like any new material, like as far as like a book, but I'm like just writing, just kind of like creatively writing like a lot every day for fun. Cause I've just gotten the habit of writing when I was doing over the top. And now I'm just kind of writing about other things like that. I didn't write about in that book and um writing about things that I've kind of experienced since and writing comedy. I'm learning Chinese. I'm cooking a lot. Um, I'm do, and then as far as fit on, like I, I am obsessed with fit on. I actually got obsessed with fit on. Like when I realized that the people who own Equinox were also supporting Donald Trump. And then I was like, Oh, never going to Equinox again. So I stuck with that and I've never been back. And, uh, that's when I got on fit on and I just love fit on. So, um, I do that once a day and then I'm into my Duolingo who I don't actually have a partnership with on the Duolingo, but honey, you got to learn Chinese somehow. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's what I'm doing. It's, it's really been, and then I've been like going to the grocery store once every two weeks. Okay. I just did that successfully for my, for my second time. Like I've only left the house like once every two weeks for like a month. Wow. And what, what's it, I mean, can a Jonathan Van Ness <clears throat> keep physical distancing at a supermarket you i mean people run toward you uh people have been really pretty you know respectful of that like when people have been recognizing no one's been like you know rushing up into like i feel like people are respectful of it but i'm so extra about maintaining physical distance like if like because at the grocery store i've been going to they don't have those arrows on the aisles, so people are just willy-nilly like you know passing each other on the aisles and if i see you if i hear you coming behind me, trying to pass me. I'm, I'm sprinting. Like I am taking my cart because I don't want you fucking breathing around my cart. I am taking my cart and I am running and I, and I wear like flip flops to the store. And so that I can just like leave them outside my door when I get home. And I just like, cause I want to get it all caught up in my like shoes. Like I don't want no virus in my fucking shoes. And so like, I am literally like, you know how like I run, you know how I run. Like when I like at the salon and I'd be like, Oh, like, you know, running. I am yeah. running through the aisles away from people like like I'm, I'm not like if I see you walking down my side of the street when I'm on my little walk, I'm going the fuck around you because I feel like the wind, you know, I feel it's this wind. If someone sneezes or something and then you catch a breeze, fuck it. Like, so I'm I'm all, I'm maximizing the social distance. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's tough. What's, what are you taking in, like, pop culture-wise? What's your um, TV? Alone. 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 A-L-O-N-E. My best friend, Patty, told me about it. And when she first told me about it, I was like, shut up. I hate that show. It's so not my genre. Like, let's keep singing Sarah Bareilles together on FaceTime. I'm not going to hear about the show right now. 
And then I finally sat down and watched it. And I don't know if I've ever been... I'm extremely obsessed. I am on season six of six. The devastation is really permeating that I only have like four episodes left. But basically, they take 10 survivalists. They drop them out in the middle of nowhere. But they're they're not naked. They have their clothes. But they're only allowed 10 items. And then whoever lasts the longest wins half a million dollars, which is actually about a quarter of a million dollars after taxes. So, right. mm-hmm. you know, so whatever. But still, um, still. so yeah, the, we're, we're take eating it. fish, we're eating muskrats, we're eating rats, we're eating, we're eating all sorts of shit. I just learned this guy, not to spoiler, but this one person killed a moose this season and he's got like 900 pounds of moose meat and he's fucking starving because it turns out in 20 like or for like a pound like there's only like one gram of protein and fat and like a pound of moose meat so he's got all this moose meat but it's not in, oh, so he's like God. just losing all this week and if you lose too much weight they have to like bring you they got to take you out because you get like a med check once a month the only interaction they get is once a month like the doctor comes out and they like weigh them and make sure they're not dying and if they're losing too much weight that's like a way that they'll they'll because like you have to tap out they have like a walkie talkie and that's the only communication they have and they have to like tap out and there's not a film crew i am mad this is how i think it works Meanwhile, you guys are like, oh, my God, we had JVN on the podcast and like all he did was talk about alone for an no, hour. I'm, I'm like, this, is, this is okay. why you're here, Jonathan. It's- so basically, so basically they I think that because there's really not a crew except for when they come out for the med check. Right. And having done Queer Eye now, like I understand more about reality television, honey. I understand about like crews and how things work and, you know, how it's like a whole thing. So we're watching alone. I'm like, how are they shooting this? Like, they're out there the fuck alone. Like, they're all out there, you know, all by themselves. And so I think what they must do is, like, before they all go out, they're like, they must send them, like, two GoPros, I would imagine, like, before the before they send them out. And they're like, we just want you to go into your backyard or, like, the woods at your house. And we just want you to practice, like, doing a two-camera setup. So if you're going to kill a moose or if you're going to kill a fish or whatever, if you're going to go fishing, we should just set one camera up right behind you and then another camera, like, 90 degrees from that camera over on the side. And because, like, a lot of the shots are set up similarly but i think they must give the contestants like a little guidelines of like how to because they have to self-record everything because they're out in the wilderness alone except for when they do the med checks and then they send out the camera crew honey and they get all their really pretty like slow motion shots and like they're really like Mm -hmm. you can tell it's like a nice camera like not a gopro like just for these like interstitials um yeah so my quarantine buddy gets annoyed with me because like he's like really into watching it and i'm like ooh. so when they're editing this shit i bet like the audio might have gotten <laughs> fucked up so that's why they had to go over to this moose picture yeah. because like they didn't have the audio from the gopro because of the, the fire or whatever but it's so fucking good this one girl because they had this like this one season was like season five was the redemption season when like past contestants got to come back and this one bitch was so fucking good so fucking good i, I was like she's gonna win and she accidentally got a fucking hook stuck in her hand fishing on like day two got a hook stuck clear all the way up in her hand God. couldn't get the hook out and that's what sent her home so it's like random like you just have to be really careful like there's a lot of like sprained ankles just like not paying attention like it's just so much shit can go down there and when that stuff happens the the crew, the the like medical team if is close enough that out, they can fly in. If they boat in, usually I think they have like they must have like a production like office. I would guess like uh-huh. a PO somewhere that is like it's like a boat drive, and the walkie-talkie like alerts them if they're going to tap out, and then they come get them. But I think it takes probably like twenty minutes, I would imagine, for them to get out to them, and they have like a little like beaker like tracker thing that like finds them. 
Oh, but it's, yeah. it's I have so a couple good. questions. So are you are you seeing them physically hunt? Are you seeing animals? Oh, yeah. Being killed? And... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I didn't think it'd be my genre. Have you ever hunted before? Fuck no. No. Of course uh, not. Th- yeah, that's that sounds my like my family hunted doves and shit though. Yeah, I mean, but you have to see them come to terms with that because there's a bunch right. of people out there who, like, they have to come to terms with it and they don't like it either. And they're so it's 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 just interesting because it's like you're really seeing this like survivalist lifestyle that you would right. not, I wouldn't see somewhere else. And I just I like that there's it, my. Patty, who was referring me to this show for the longest, has now consumed it all. And now she's moved on to Naked and Afraid because she doesn't have any more alone. And for me, it's like I haven't seen it yet. So I guess I shouldn't judge it. But it's like I, the thing I really like about Alone is it doesn't feel super gimmicky. Like it's not like, oh, you're naked or like whatever. It's like it's just like they, you know, it's just like you get 10 things and there's a little bit of skill for like the 10 things that you pick. You know, because it's like there is some like, should I do a bow and arrow or do I do like a fire starter, like flint rock thing? Like, you know, because you, you got to be choosy about what, you know, you're going to take. I'm just shocked that 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 this is the time that you've chosen to binge this show. It seems like a show about people in isolation sounds like the opposite of comforting right now. Well, maybe we need to get ready. But, maybe that's what we're all going to be doing. Right. Maybe we're all going to be out in the DM woods. You're taking notes. Maybe. I don't know. It's just really entertaining, actually. I also really like, because I obviously binged the shit out of Next in Fashion with uh, Mr. Tan France, which I loved, but I did that forever ago. And now I've been watching Making the Cut on Amazon, because I just, I love like a fashion competition show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been watching that. And I watch Drag Race, obviously. And... Tell us your thoughts on the current season of Drag Race, please. Um. I think it's a really strong group of girls. And I think that it's like, I'm glad that they figured out a way around the whole like fucking fiasco to like, let them all still shine because they are so talented and what an awful situation to be in. And, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I, I do have, a favorite that's kind of like the basic obvious favorite, but I'm sorry that dress was everything. And I just feel like her makeup is really fucking good. And I just really like her little, like, I just think she's really fucking fierce. And I think she's the one to beat. I think she is probably the one to beat. Oh wait, who did you say? Which I forget her name, but she's just like that really good. Yeah. She's good. Yes. yes, yes, Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. That contour is just so I know I'm a it's just it's frustrating when, when, when people that young are that talented and it's, it's, it's frustrating, but you, you got to give it to her. Well, she's been working on it for a long time, obviously. That's true. Right. Yeah. Uh, what was your take on Aiden Zane? A controversial figure. I think that that was probably some, to be frank, like dubious shitty editing. I'm sure he's like a really lovely person well, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. When you do unscripted TV like that, I mean, they make that show look like it takes... I don't think that those are weekly eliminations. I'm pretty sure those eliminations no. happen like day, 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 day. So, like, right. these, you know, three-month seasons that we're seeing actually happen in three weeks' time or, like, two weeks' time. So you think that they're together for, like, you know, two, three months, but really it's, like, two weeks. So it's, like, for anyone to be making, like... And if you take, like, your normal life, like, I cannot tell you how insane it was for me to go from being in the salon five days a week 
Like if you took my uh, five days in my life in 2017 and then five days in my life after Queer Eye came out, just like what it is being on set and like, you know, being around people like that all the time when because like when you do TV, all of a sudden you're around people all the time. Like from the time your feet hit the floor until the time you go to bed, you are with people all the time. And that doesn't bring out the best in people sometimes. You know, like for me, like I really, when I got done doing hair at the end of the day, I loved going home and I didn't really go out a whole lot. Like I didn't really do a ton of Christmas parties. I didn't really go out to the bar. Like, like, cause you leave it all on the dance floor in the salon. Like you're tired. Like you, I, I had socialized myself to death every day. And so if you're someone who's not super chatty or you're not used to being around people like that all the time, and then you all of a sudden are on a show where you're with, you know, a ton of other people and you're just, and it's like, again, there's no downtime. I would assume, like, I would assume that they're shooting like 10 and 12 hours, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it's like high stakes, choreography, challenge, elimination, and all again, every single day. So it's like, I just, I think that it probably doesn't bring out the best in you. And I think that they can, and honestly as well, this is super candid. So I hope you fucking save this on homophilia, honey, but it's like, any producer of any reality TV show could edit anybody to be a saint or to be fucking Jerry from Survivor. Like, you could probably edit me to be Jerry from Survivor on Queer Eye because we shoot 60 hours. No, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. You shoot 60 hours a week on Queer Eye. We shoot 60 hours of footage a week that gets edited into 42 minutes. Same thing with, with Drag Race. I'm sure they're shooting... And and there's a million different ways from all of that footage that you can make a narrative, that you could do a backstory, that you could that you could edit in an untucked. That's why I'm always telling people, I'm like, don't judge anything by what you see on television. It's it's you or I mean you can, but you also have to realize that it's it's not the full story on any level. And so just you know, not I just think it's important to like not be so like there's just so much more going on than like what you would think about than what you would think. Can we go back to your salon days for a moment because we are all uh, we, fans and friends of Aaron Gibson um, and I'm sure everybody knows this but can you just b- briefly tell the Gay of Thrones uh, origin story? Sure. So um, in so in 2012 I uh, had a pretty rough go which I talk about in my book a lot and then I had left Los Angeles and Prior to leaving Los Angeles, I'd lived there for like three years as an assistant. And in that time, uh, assisting in L.A., Aaron went to this uh, hair cutter at the salon that I worked at. And that's how we met. And then but and I was like, oh, my gosh, can I do your color like at midnight or like 11 p.m.? Because like I can't do it here at the salon because I'm an assistant, a lowly assistant. But I could come to your house and do it or you could come to my house and I'll do it like on the cheap. And so I started doing Aaron's hair literally 11 years ago it was like 2000 and or maybe 10 years ago it was like 2009 or 10 because i moved there in august i would assume we met between august and december of 2009 and then i probably did her color the first couple times at the beginning part of 2010 so it's literally been 10 years and so we became just friends through that and then i left los angeles um had a lot of really intense personal struggles came back to los angeles in the midst of all those personal struggles and aaron was the first person who i called when i came back i was like i'm doing hair i'm at the salon sorry i left in like midnight and never said goodbye to anyone so like i'm back and like no questions asked she was like she came back to that salon that i came that i came back to in la uh she was like on my first day of clients and on that very first day back in the salon in la 
my who would end up becoming my business partner at the salon where I cut your hair, Dave, uh, in Brentwood. Uh-huh. So she and I ended up leaving that salon and we went and did our own little thing, which I loved. Um, but she was talking to her client about Game of Thrones and he was trying to convince Monique to watch it. And Monique was like, no, no, I just can't do it. And so then I was like, oh, no, 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 girl, you got to watch. It's amazing, honey. That little baby, this got a little baby sash and then she fell off a cliff and she cut the baby out and she was pregnant and blah, blah, blah. So I so I do this whole recap. And then Aaron's like, oh, my God, we we have to do this on Funny or Die. Like that, like that, what you just did, like we have to figure out how to make that a thing. And we're in so. That was how it started, and that was in December. Game of Thrones started in April. We were originally going to do one episode, and we were going to recap episodes one and two together. And we did that, and it went by. And we did it with Funny or Die, and it went viral. And then we ended up getting Alfie Allen to do the second episode. And then after that, it became a series. And yeah, so it's like Erin basically had this idea, and she turned herself. I mean, I think she already was you know, a a creator and a writer and a producer, and she'd already done her own shows. But I remember like the third or fourth episode of season one, our, the producer or this, this producer who we had been working with um, just didn't show up, just like didn't show up to record. And so I remember getting there at like three in the afternoon on a Sunday. And I remember like going into this office at the old funnier diet. Aaron was like, I'm not a producer. I don't know what the, like, and, and, and I was like, um, I'm going to go do my hair. Let me know if you need help with anything. Like, yeah, I didn't yeah. know I was like a hairdresser. And so, and she just figured it out. I mean, that first season, she just was in there figuring it out. And I think through the years, like as I did more projects and, you know, started getting more into entertainment and, and feeling more comfortable in that world, I also got to learn how to produce and I also got to learn how to write. And so she really created this. She is the creator of, of Gay of Thrones, but it allowed me to, you know, really learn what my comedic voice is and that I had a comedic voice and that I could write and that I could produce. And yeah, I mean, she, she just completely changed my life. And I, I always used to joke that she's like the usher to my Justin Bieber. Cause like she showed me that I had this whole other side of myself that I never really knew I had. So I, I just love her so much. And yeah. And did you, I mean, you're obviously a natural born entertainer, a natural born storyteller, but what, what were your ambitions or what was your relationship to like the idea of a future in entertainment back then? Well, once I did Game of Thrones uh, at the beginning, I think by the time like that, I mean, cause when it started, it was like 2013 and I was still like, I was really in the beginning of my recovery and just in the beginning of like getting, like getting ahead of some of those really tumultuous personal issues that I'd been going through. And it, it all of a sudden became this thing that I really looked forward to doing on Sunday. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, I, I would go to funny or die and we would like all watch it every Sunday. And then we would all like write it together. And then we would like shoot it for like, you know, two or three hours. So it was this like, three in the afternoon to like midnight thing every Sunday that I just was like by the third or fourth week of it, I was like, this is amazing. I love this. This is so fun. And then when the first season was over, I was like, well, now what do I do? Like, I like there was no other Game of Thrones and Aaron and I tried to like do some other projects, but it's like, as I'm sure you all know, like shopping around a project in Los Angeles, if you don't have millions of Instagram followers and millions of YouTube hits, it's like, everyone's like, yeah, girl, bye. Like next And so um, we really just like couldn't find the vehicle or like the project to do outside of Game of Thrones. And so I think, you know, by season like two and three of Game of Thrones, I was pretty clear on like, like, I love doing hair. I will always love doing hair. And 
um, I still do my friend's hair. And, and if, if anything else in entertainment never happens, it will be okay. Cause I love my salon. I loved doing hair. And like I said, I still do. Um, but I did realize like in the second and third season, I was like, I really want to do this more. I feel like I have something to say and I feel like I have a point of view that I want to share and I want to develop it. And I don't really know what that means, but I want to try. And so that's when I started getting curious. And then, um, I kept doing getting curious. I kept doing Gay of Thrones. And then I heard about, you know, the audition for Queer Eye and I did the audition and I got the project. And that was, I mean, I've probably been between like seasons two, three, and I think season four or three or four was three or four of Gay of Thrones was like, no, I booked it on season three and was that the green background season where like Aaron was the first guest and we had like Amanda Seals or, uh, and like that season. And, um, um, Oh my God, I'm brain farting Marie. And I love her so much. Blonde hair, Netflix special. So fucking genius. Marie, Bam- Marie Bamford, Marie Bamford. Yes, yes. Um, we had her on that season. So that was the first season where I booked queer eye and I was shooting queer eye and flying back to LA every weekend to do gay or to do gay of Thrones. But queer eye wasn't out yet. And then, and then we only had one more season of Gay of Thrones after that, which was the final. But I, I definitely like didn't ever realize that. I never thought that I would like be where I am now, like for sure. Yeah. I mean, so I knew that I wanted to do entertainment more often. I knew I wanted to produce things, um, but I, I guess I didn't ever think that I'd be doing it like full full time. So that's that's it's been a very massive transition. Yeah. And now you're on stage at Radio City Music Hall doing stand-up comedy. Yeah, my, like, the year... And actually, Dave, the first storytelling show I ever did, ever, was the one that you invited me to do in the oh, Virgil, good. like, 10 yeah. like Public forever school. ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, like, my first time on stage, and I think uh, I... And then I, yeah. And then like, cause really like once queer, I started like right before queer, I came out is when I was like, okay, I need to go to like, I needed to like start getting up and like, I wanted to do a little bit of stand up, um, like before the show came out so I could like see what it was like, uh, to do it without anyone like being like extra nice. And, um, I was like, okay, I'm obsessed with this. I want to do this too. So it's really just been like, uh, taking the opportunities as they come and like running with it. Right. I love it. And when when Queer Eye came along, it was sort of at, in the age of like peak reboot where we were sort of like trying to recreate all of these things from the past. And obviously it ended up being something else entirely and both shows exist like beautifully on their own. But at, when you got the job, what what did you think you were in for? I really didn't know. Um I knew that when I got the job and I knew that when the, it was going to be the five of us, I was like, well, I know I love them and I know that we're going to have fun. Um, and then I also just like wanted it to be, I just wanted it to be successful so that I could keep doing hair. Like I just wanted to keep doing hair. I wanted to keep working. So I I really just didn't know. Um, I was kind of doing like the whole Maya Angelou, like hoping for the best, but I was also like prepared for everyone to hate it. Um, I just didn't want anyone to hate it so much that like I wouldn't be able to do Gay of Thrones again and like maybe get to do like another audition someday. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the response from it and the success of it was like far outside of like, you know, hoping for the best. Like it's way more than hoping for the best. Like I never thought I'd be like doing Radio City or like any of the 
incredible projects that I've gotten to do. Like I, I always say, I say in my stand up tour, like, um, when people are like, Oh, like, what's it like? I'm like, I feel like every day I'm in a constant state of shock. Like I'm always in just like a, I can't believe this is my life now. Can we, can we return to hair for a moment? Sure. Because now we're all in quarantine. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> now we're all in quarantine. We're, it's going to be ages before we can get haircuts again. What can we be doing to prepare ourselves for a our post-quarantine aesthetic? I think like growing your hair out. So your hairdresser has like a lot to work with and like being able to okay. do like a little bit of a different shape. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think if you are going to try to do any maintenance at home on it until you can go out, it's like, just keep it simple. Like just do like around your ears, do like, your, you know, like that extra hair, like that lives below your hairline on your neck, mm-hmm. you know, like, like uh-huh. all that stuff that just like lives down here. I think that when you try to get up into the meat and potatoes of your haircut, especially when your hair is short, like a classic, you know, men's barbery look, or if you don't have to be a man, but just like any pixie-ish, anything short, um, when you get up into the sides and the top, it just is really difficult to blend and you really have to practice. So it's like, if you are going to try to do it yourself, anything beyond just the edges, you know, like just around your ears and like the very, like, you know, the extraneous hairs down on your neck, it's probably going to look pretty rough. Your first couple of times. Leave it to a professional is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's like, if you grow it out, it looks all, if you cut it off and it looks all crazy and stupid, it's like, or if you, the other thing is like buzzing your hair off and then growing it out. It doesn't grow out cute. Like when you grow out a buzz cut, it grows into a mullet because of the way that your hair is shaped or the way that the head is shaped. If you cut everything off very, very short, because the back of your head is like, you know, eight inches lower than the top of your head, like however long your head is all this stuff in the back grows out really fast. So you will end up spending more money going to the barber or going to your stylist, getting that back cut off while the top and the sides are growing back out. So you really will end up spending more money buzzing your hair cut off and then having to go somewhere where you can, where they can fix it, like growing it back out into a normal shape, unless you're just going to keep it buzzed. Cause I gave this advice on the tonight show, like to not cut your hair. Like I was like, don't quarantine, cut your hair. Like don't, do it because if like because here's the thing you the average human head grows a quarter of an inch to a half an inch of hair a month okay if you bleach and tone your hair like if you color your whole head of hair it, and you have hair like as long as mine this is like two years two and a half years worth of hair so when you bleach everything from your roots to your tips and your hair is long even for someone who has hair as long as yours dave for hair your length, that's like a six, eight month ordeal to grow out. Mm-hmm. And once your mm-hmm. hair is bleached like that, it doesn't hold on to color very well. So you're going to have to go back into the salon to like get it retoned, like to, cause you know, bleach removes color, but it doesn't put color in. So you have to keep, you know, glossing the hair or toning the hair to like put, to put the pigment in. So it's like right. bleach and toning your hair. That's not like a one month decision or a two month decision. It's like that will financially affect you and it will affect your time. Cause like you're going to, instead of being able to work, you're going to be at the salon, like spending money when you buzz your head or when you shave the side off or when you bleach and tone it, you will have to go to a professional more often than if you had just not touched it and you will have ended up spending more money. And if you're already struggling for money, or, you know, or out of a job when you're going to need to go apply for jobs, you really want to have like a fucking big bird piss yellow grown out bleach and tone that used to be pink and you can't tone it now and you can't afford the three or four or five hundred dollars to go get it fixed at the salon. Not to mention 
hairdressers are hurting. Like we can't do clients. So it's like you're over here doing your at home shit and then you're not going to be able to get it. So just wait and get it fucking done at the salon because the but the hair that you're buzzing or the hair that you're bleach and toning, that's like months and months, maybe even years of regrowth to get back to where you were. Because don't mind me, don't listen to my advice. I wasn't in the salon for 10 and 12 hours a day for, I don't know, 12 years. What do I know? What the fuck do I know? Listen to Jonathan Van Ness. Also embrace, here's my personal advice, not knowing hair very well. Embrace the idea that you can go through the awkward length in isolation. Yes! See what else you can come up with. Right. People are like, my I hair won't grow, I'll... won't do anything else. It's like you keep cutting it every four weeks. Like, let it grow. Right. Let the shit I hope grow. That it does le- like lead to a shift because I think for like gay guys especially, there has been this this obsession with this high and tight, you know, fades and like the like immaculate um, over the years and back of the neck stuff. And uh, I hope that we emerge from this uh, with a different uh, relationship. I love that artistry. I love a nice fade. I love sure. a pretty edge. I mean, it's beautiful artistry. It's it's literally art. Um, but like trying, I mean, even some of the best barbers, like when they do their self cuts, you can tell that it's like, it wasn't, it's just better to like, let someone do it. That's like, isn't their head's not attached to their body. Like just let the right. professional do it. Like right. it's fine. And maybe you can learn to like, not be so, so attached to your edges. So right. that's also a good thing to come away with. Can you, can we talk about high school, Jonathan? Sure. Um, I know you were the first male cheerleader at your high school, mm-hmm. um, which I, I'm just obsessed with that image. And I went to a high school in a, a small town in Ohio and I was in the band, but I was friends with the cheerleaders and I was always kind of like messing around with them at the football games and like wanted so badly to be the first male cheerleader in my high school, but just didn't have the balls to do it so um how did you did you not see bring it on i i actually didn't see bring it on until after high school oh well so, okay so bring Shocking. it on came out when i was in eighth grade and like basically bring it on gave me the courage like i was like oh no i'm i will not be on the sidelines i can't like how am i gonna become a toro if i'm not on the cheer squad and really, this girl kind of like dared me to try out because I was so obsessed with Bring It On. And I was like, I'll try out. Um, but other boys had tried out, but they were always joking about it. Like they were always like, like you know, straight guy kind of just like joking about it um, and like making fun of it. I was not making fun of it. I was taking it so seriously. Like I was like, high V, low V, yes, touchdown. Like first and 10, let's do it again. So let's go. Let's go. Like, I was learning the chants, memorizing the chants, memorizing the motions. I mean, I was so, like, as obsessed with hairdressing as I am as an adult. Like, that was me for cheer. Like, I think in ninth and 10th grade, like, when I made the squad, I, like, wore, like, a QHS cheerleader t-shirt to school every single day. Like, I wore one of our camp t-shirts and, like, our little warm-ups, like, every day. Like, I was like, bitch, I'm a cheerleader. And it was really funny because... I think I thought that if I became a cheerleader, I would somehow, like, get more popular and people would be nicer to me. It did get me more popular in the sense that, like, everyone knew who I was now because I was, like, the only boy cheerleader. But, like, nobody liked me outside of, like, just exactly the cheerleaders. Like, that was, like, the only group that I had. But, like, um, their, like, sway didn't go, like, that far with, like, you know, the rest <laughs> of the school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was challenging. But I loved cheer. And it really did give me, like, community and, like, people. And eventually, I think 
it, it really is. It really was the case that like, cause you know, in ninth grade, when I tried out, I couldn't tumble. And I, t- I talk about like this over chapters and chapters in my book. Like you can tell it's really still with me if you read the book, um, but I couldn't tumble. And because I had found this like friendship and this, you know, group finally in the ninth grade, um, I, my first year I only cheered for football. And that's because to try out for the basketball squad, you had to be able to tumble. And I couldn't tumble. And I had tried to tumble when I was little. And I, like, got laughed out of the gymnastics classes because, like, I just was really bad. And I was, like, a chunky little baby. And I just couldn't tumble. I wasn't strong. I couldn't do it. And so then when I made cheer in ninth grade, I was like, well, I have to learn how to now because I won't be able to cheer year around if I can't do a backflip. So I really started, like, I started taking gymnastics lessons, like, three nights a week. And I was like, I got to figure out how to, like, get this body to do a backflip. So I finally learned how to do it for tryouts for my sophomore year. And then I ended up making basketball cheer and football cheer so I could cheer uh, year around. But it was very obvious that I worked really hard at it because the stuff that I could do when I was, like, in ninth grade and the stuff that I could do in 10th grade, I mean, I couldn't hold anyone up alone when I first started. And then by 10th grade, I was like doing single base stunts and I was flipping all over the place and it, it, people started to be nicer to me. And then even like the athletes that I was cheering for, like started to notice that I was doing more and then getting better at it. And then slowly, but surely people just started being nicer and like people started being more excited about, about it and being more excited for me. And then my junior year, these two straight guys tried out who were really good gymnasts. Like they could tumble, but they didn't take the motions and like learning the cheers and the dances seriously. But they were like, we're going to make it. Cause we'll just like be with all these like hot girls and we'll just like do backflips. And neither of them made it. And I did. And I was like, mm, see how it's not so easy to just be not so easy. And then this is a really cute story and this is like what it all culminated in we'd already told you the story dave this is the whole jack van ness story i already told you the story but it well um, yeah but not on mike not on not on mike but so basically um my junior year at this high school i think it was like one of my last basketball games that i ever cheered at in high school there was this the other squad had this one boy cheerleader and he was like fucking simone biles like he was like he I, i could do like backflips all the way across the floor, but just like normal backflips, you know, just like, you know, foot hand, foot hand, just like, you know, flip-flopping back and forth. He could do like round up back handspring, full twisting layout, step out, round up back handspring, Arabian, round up back handspring, whip back whip. I mean, he was doing like crazy. I mean, he was like Olympic level, like such a good gymnast. So culture in high school basketball cheer is, is that, you know, there's like two full time, like two minute long timeouts. For the two-minute timeouts, one squad gets to do a cheer for the minute, like in the middle of the court, and then the other squad gets to do a cheer in the middle of the court for that minute, right? And on your minute timeout, you do not cross each other's cheer. Like, so one squad wouldn't do like a stunt or go running across, you know, their cheer doing tumbling and stuff because like it's the, it's their turn, right? Then on the half timeouts, that's when like the visitors do a thing on their side and we do a thing on our side and you just divide it in half and you both go at once, but it's very clear and there's no miscommunication, right? So it's our turn to do our full minute cheer. And we go out and we're in the middle of our stunt. And in the middle of our stunt, like the apex of our cheer, I look in front of us and I see out of the corner of my eye, their only mirror cheerleader comes tumbling and flipping right in front of our stunt in the middle of the court. Like we were in center court. The players aren't playing, obviously, because it's the timeout and it's like our time to perform. And this motherfucker comes in the middle of our stunt and tries to show up our stunt, which is like that is just an Mm -hmm. ultimate like, fuck you. Like you just it couldn't be any more of like a cheer. No, no. That's so the worst we, definition of a stunt queen. 
So then I, we, we cradled our stunt, like we popped our stunt down and we were done with our cheer. And I looked at him, there was like 30 seconds left on the timeout. And so I did a round off, like three back handsprings right up to where their cheerleaders were. And I went, come on. And then he like did a tumbling pass. And then I did a tumble and we were like both tumbling. And he very much beat me in the tumble off. Like he beat me. Like, I didn't fall or anything, but like he was very much clearly better. And also my nickname in high school is Jack. So, but by the end of that, everyone, because like, I mean, I tumbled right up to him and was like, come on. Like I started it. It was very like a thing. Everyone in the auditorium, everyone, players, cheerleaders, spectators, everyone from Quincy, because it was a hometown game, was like, Jack Van Ness! Jack Van Ness! For like a minute. And it was so good, because I was like, fuck him! Fuck Moline! Like, he fucking sucks! (laughs) And it was like such like, I mean, like, I remember like, people... Like, it was just such a moment because, like, everyone knew that it was, like, this moment where, like, everyone had used to, like, really shun me. And I was, like, not a celebrated piece of that community. And then in that moment, I really, really was. And, I mean, it was something that, like, you know, my mom and, like, my family still talks about. I think a lot of people in Quincy would remember that moment. So it was cute. And it, it ended up um, it ended up well. Is You know, and Quincy is not far outside of St. Louis. Yes, we're both Midwestern um, Queens. Yes, we are. And it is the easiest thing in the world in that part of the country to stand out and to be thought of as eccentric or unusual and eccentricity and and unusualness is not at all prized at all. Right. No. Like it's it's a scary thing to stand out and it's easy. Yeah. And I'm so Uh, bad at not I'm so bad at conforming to things that I'm not interested in. Right. Like masculinity. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's interesting talking to you now because like masculinity is such a fraught topic with gay guys. And I, I, like I, I grew up as a kid who was very femme and, and femme shamed a lot and had, and, and sort of was like terrorized by my dad into like behaving differently and and also came out at a time where like mask behavior was so rewarded and it was so sort of like put on a pedestal in our community and then and obviously like that toxic stuff is still very much there but i do think there's been such a positive shift in the queer community um and it 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 does kind of coincide with like the rise of queer eye and so i was just wondering how you I don't know how you perceive that shift and your, you know, role in it. I mean, I certainly wouldn't take, you know, too much credit for that. I think that there's just, you know, it's just like what Dave was saying. Like it takes so much courage and strength to like, to celebrate yourself and to celebrate, you know, your individuality and like how you want to dress, how you want to be, how you want to present yourself in, in a rural conservative place. So I think that so many people are doing that on their own and are doing and are taking those cues from other people that have also been really just being such amazing trailblazers at the same time, like Billy Porter, for instance, or like Alok or um, Sam Smith, or um, there's just so many people that have that were doing doing the most like through this time as well. And people before us that have been really just championing like this, this, you know, trying to to shift this toxic culture within our community and while there is a shift there is also so much not a shift i mean i feel like 
I get a lot of love and, 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 you know, men will like, you know, what am I trying to say? There hasn't a shit, but there's also like, I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of messages I get from uh, gay men who will say things to the effect of like, you give me so much courage. You are so strong to be so potty, body positive and like show your body. And it's like, how do you think that makes me feel? Like you're telling me that I am so strong for having the courage to take my shirt off. Like I shouldn't take my shirt off because I'm not beautiful the way I am. Like it's been so ingrained in these boys that like they aren't beautiful. I'm like, take your fucking shirt off. Let me jerk off to it. Like you're hot. Like we're all hot. Like what the fuck did anyone think that you had to have this like crazy Adonis body to be celebrated? Like that just blows my mind that that's what so many people were operating under still. So it's like, to me, it just, it, it came naturally to me to like, I worked so hard to love myself and love my body and want to celebrate it. Like in my twenties that like, you know, through all of the success of queer, I like, I didn't start off trying to be body positive. I thought I was hot the whole time. Like I didn't know that people thought I was body positive. I just thought I looked really good. And I think that so many people that, that are body positive, I'm like, I just think you're hot. I want to fuck, you know, like, and you know, so I just think that there's still a lot of toxic shame in our community is what I'm saying. And I get reminded of it all the time because if, 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 and also like, I don't think I'm, I obviously don't have like the craziest, you know, muscly athletic body of all time, but I think that if you look at someone, I mean, I'm six feet tall. I work out every single day. I don't think I look bad with my clothes off. I don't think I've ever looked bad with my clothes off, even when I was at my most like lethargic, not working out like ever. So it's like, if you're looking at me and thinking like, oh, I don't know how I could ever be that. And if I'm the speaking of body positivity, I think that shows like how, um, how much body dysmorphia we have in our community. Like, everyone's body is hot. Everyone's body should be celebrated. Everyone thinks that someone is sexy. Like everyone is sexy in their own way. Everyone has something to celebrate. So it's like, I just think that there is, there's just so many people, so many people who like in our community who will like, uh, especially older guys who like, won't like who refuse to see a non-binary person as sexual. Like they, like they, like they want to look up to me. They want to whatever, but like they wouldn't want, like they won't, they don't see me as like sexual and they don't see people who are non-binary or trans as being sexy or as being like desirable. There's, so there's still like just like a lot of shame and like labels and just so much like people being caught up in stuff that is like, just not, just not the, just not the case, you know? Cause it's like, I love like a mask. I love like a mask fucking musk queen, but I also love like, you know, like give me everything. I love like the full, I love everybody, you know? So I just think it's like we're we're not taught, though, to be open about the fact that we fancy a lot of different people. You know, it's like it's the same thing as like young straight boys being like, yeah, Pamela Anderson or like or, you know, yes, um, you know, like a Matthew McConaughey body type. But like it's not meant it's the, it's not practice to be open about like what you're into like you were conditioned to be into certain types of people i think that is very much still prevalent but i do think that there are brave people within our community that are trying to flip this narrative myself included and, and others um just to kind of lift up this false narrative around like what it is to be masculine it's like so stupid right and it seems like you are actualized enough to know what you like who you are what what turns you on, what makes you feel alive. And so you act on that because you've done the work. When I, when I see 
you know, when I, when I see somebody on Instagram who is desperate to show me their shoulders and abs, I just feel like it's like they're acting out that, that adolescent trauma, you know, they're, they're trying to show their worth to the rest of the world. It's not, it's not about like, it's not a show of personal strength. It's like, it's a show to me of need, you know, and and the the desire to have a partner that's super masculine and super built and whatever is kind of similar. But I feel like sometimes there's people who are like actualized and are just like really like to be fit and really like to share about sure. it. And sure. and that's like, okay, too. It's like, but it's, it's more of just like, um, but no, like it, it, it is that, but it's like, I just, but not all people that are like fitness queens have that affliction, but it's, no. it's just that there's just a lot of like, there's just still a lot of toxic shame and toxic masculinity within our community. And right. I think that that is just such a shame that we can't, I think we just got to keep working, but there has been a shift. We got to keep shifting. Yeah. Right. So you have a quarantine mate. I do. What's, what's the story there? Is anything happening, Jonathan? (laughs) Maybe that was let the, let the, let the listener know there was a shrug. Here's what I, here's what I will say. And I said this in my live show too. Like I did a whole piece about this. Um, I have like a whole set about this. It's like, I think that, when you, for me, having been in the public eye for a couple of years now and having, you know, dated in the public eye, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to like trust. It's a lot harder to like, you know, not to take a line from the bachelor, but to like be clear about people's intentions. And so I think what I've realized is, is that like, until I've been with, you know, my quarantine buddy for like a year, um, like, I don't really want to be as public about it. Cause I just think it's like important to like, just try to because it hurts like it hurts when you've been public about it and then you have to like not be anymore and it is awful and it sucks and um yeah like i didn't do that super well my first time so i just like kind of want to keep it a little bit closer um but it's been amazing and um when i am ready to let someone know about it you'll be um knowing when everyone else knows when I put on my Instagram. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I was going to say you'll be the first we'll take to know, it. but then I knew uh, that I'll probably... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's impossible. Jonathan, you're a dream come true. You are... But wait, what about you guys? Are you, you guys are just fine? You're just quarantining and like fucking your husbands a lot and stuff and it's fine? We're surviving. We're, you know, we're here. We have, we have quarantine here. buddies too. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, and, we're healthy and, and alive. Yeah and tremendously lucky to have them yeah yes yes yeah it, it would be uh, for a, a variety of reasons but especially right now it would be uh did you see that funny meme alone. did you see that funny meme that was like covid might actually make gays start fucking their husbands like they like gay people <laughs> might actually start to have start having sex with their husbands. i thought that was pretty yeah. funny i lolled yeah 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 <laughs> It's oh, true. God. It's, it's true. nice. That intimacy is nice. Cause you know what my therapist it says? Is. Lust, lust, bitch. She doesn't say bitch, but lust. This is a really great way to end. Lust, the happens, from across, lust happens from across the room. It's like you see that stranger, you see the bus boy or the guy at the gym or whoever. And like, and it's that, that, that connection or that kind of false connection, that validation of like, I think I see you, you see me, we're going to like, we're going to do this. And that is like the lust. And that's what usually keeps people together for the first couple of years of their relationship, or even if it's just like the first three minutes, but love, which is better than lust arguably, but I think love is, you know, better and longer lasting 
according to my therapist, that happens like face to face. So you can recreate those feelings of lust. It might not be as intense, but you can recreate those with people that or with someone who you've been with for two, four, six, eight, 10, 12 years. You just have to like work at it a little bit more and you have to get right up in each other's faces. It's like going to yoga. Like even if you don't yeah. want to go to yoga, once you go, you feel so much better, but you just have to like be with the person and you might even feel like, I mean, obviously consent, I'm not saying consent, but it's like, you might not feel like, it's nice to go for the Taco Bell being the hookup, but your husband is the salad. He's the healthy mm-hmm. choice, you know, the healthy connected right. choice. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting for us to be able to think about that. It is. And I, I think I just feel there's a, there's also like a, I love my boyfriend so much and I'm in a weird way, like grateful to have this like intimate time with him. But I, I, I feel like a level of guilt talking about it because it is, this is such an incredibly lonely time for people. And like, Dave totally. said, I just feel I'm so, so, so lucky. Um, Jonathan, thank you so, so, so much for doing this. Take uh, care you. of yourself. We love you, too, you. baby. Love Mwah. you so much. Ah, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, yes, thank you to Kimmy Lucas. Thank you to Chelsea Jacobson. Thank you to Ryan Connor. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Thank you to Ben Wise from for the music. For the music. Uh, Matt McConkey, thank you. Thank you, Dave Holmes. Everybody go give us a rate and review us. Give us five stars. Oh, please. Tell us you love Help. us. Um, buy, buy some homophilia swag uh, in the podcast store. Podswag.com. Uh, Great stuff from uh, many different podcasts. Absolutely. And follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram at Homophilia Pod. We'll we love you. Bye. Love you.